Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. All right, so we started the conversation last week by asking this question, and sort of the premise of our series is, is it possible, are great relationships even possible? Are great relationships even possible? When we examine our lives, when we examine our home and our culture, our world, many would say it's possible, but probably not probable, right? Like the odds are kind of stacked against us. And while others, and albeit a small remnant, still hold on to the hope, you know? We hold on to the hope of a stronger, a healthier, growing relationships, believing that it is possible. And the older I get, the more I'm learning and the more I'm becoming to be convinced that, I mean, we don't need more rules or laws on how to try to have good relationships, but we actually need to go back to the values that established relationships, that we actually need to go back to and protect the values that God has laid out. And in fact, Psalm 11 says it this way. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Like when we look at the odds of relationships, when we look at the framework of relationships, when we look at the possibility, the probability of great relationships, and we see the foundations just eroding at our feet, what are we to do? And the, and the psalmist says, you got to look to the Lord. Like you have to look to the Lord who is in the holy temple. This is where we have to go. We have to refocus our priorities. When you find yourself in a place when you don't know what to do as a parent, when you don't know what to do as a husband or a wife, when you don't know what to do as a business owner or a friend, it's time to go back to the Lord. It's time to go back to God's values for relationships. Seems a little old school, but sometimes we need a little old school in our life. It's funny, when we moved here two and a half years ago, we moved here in the fall, and we couldn't get possession of our house until October, so we ended up renting a cottage on Boiler Beach for the month of September, which is a beautiful little welcome to Concordan, renting a beach or a cottage on Boiler Beach. And so we got to take advantage of the lake. Kind of, we were new to Concordan, so the lake was exciting, and um, and we were out there almost every night that we could possibly be out there. And if you've lived in Concordan, you know that September the waves sort of say hello. They're like they're kind of making a stance, you know. Okay, it's September now. The waves are turning over, and so my, bro- my boys and I, we were out there, and we were like body surfing the waves and taking advantage of the waves. And, and how many people know the waves don't ever come in straight? They always come a little bit angled, right? They're whatever angle the wind is blowing. And so we're out there, we're body surfing, we're having fun, we're playing, we're splashing around. And we were only out there maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time, but before you even know it, we look up and you realize that we have drifted, you know, 50, 30 yards, 30 to 50 yards down the beach, we kind of, we don't even notice, but then we look up, we're like, Wendy's way over there, you know, and, and we just realized that, unbeknownst to ourselves, just playing and living and having fun, we had drifted away from where we had started. And honestly, when I think about relationship values, I feel that's a great picture of where we are. It's that we didn't mean to get here. We were living life, we were doing our thing, we were trying our best, we were focusing on who we were with, but we had drifted, we just drifting and drifting and drifting, and then you don't really realize how far we have drifted. And it takes intentionality to get yourself back to where you started. You gotta push against, have you ever done it? You have, to, you have to walk against the tide to get to where you were supposed to be the first place. And this is where we are, and how many people know that's not an easy feat? That takes some intentionality, it takes an effort. And this is the journey we are, or we are on. Jeremiah 6.16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. And ask, I love this, ask for the ancient paths. <laughs> like, go back. 
to the beginning. Go back to when it first, when, when, when the relations were first established and ask the way, the good way, what the good way is and walk in it that you may find rest for your souls. Like, the world is trying to, to redefine what God has created. And can I tell you what we all feel? Weary. Can we just put words to it? Can we put words to the feeling, the emotion of the world trying to redefine relationships? And we're sitting here just feeling weary. This isn't working. It's so much effort to try to make something happen. I believe it's time to get back to those ancient paths. Time to look at Scripture and learn, again, how God designed relationships. This is a thesis for our series. Is that, listen, in order for relationships to work, we, need to, we must let the one who designed relationships define them. Like, if you want your relationships to work, I'm not, whether it's your marriage, your relationship with your, your, your family, your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss, your employees, whatever you find yourself in, whatever relationship you find yourself in, we need to go back to the one who designed relationships and allow him to define them. And here's what that means. It means we don't trust our feelings. We're not a feelings-based decisions. We don't make feelings-based decisions. We make values-based decisions. Feelings, we said, are great indicators. Something's not right but they're horrible masters, right? Because I don't know what your feelings look like, but mine are like a little bit of a roller coaster from time to time. They get me spinning in different directions. Where values are true, they are like anchors, they are like footings, knowing which way to work. And so the question that you and I all have to ask is, are we going to base my life on what I think is right and base my relationships on what I think is right or what feels good to me or am I going to base my relationships on what God says? Like, every one of us have that choice. And, I, and, I cannot, and, I, and this is not like a one and done. This is like you've got to kind of reevaluate decisions on a regular basis. Because feelings are fickle and they get in the way. And I know. There are many of you here, you're like 21, you're like, I got this thing figured out, lockstep. <laughs> I know everything there is to know about relationships. You know? Like, I got it all figured out. I don't need the ancient past. They're, in, they're old. <laughs> Let's talk about what Solomon says in Proverbs 14. He says, there is a way that appears to be right. How many people have walked that road before? It appears to be right. Looks okay. It looks like this is going to take me where I want to go. But Solomon says, this is, he's speaking from wisdom. But in the end, it leads to death. How many people experience that too? You know? Like, we all have this idea, hey, I know which way I'm supposed to. I feel like i got to figure it out, only to find ourselves in a place we did not want to be, in a position with our relationships we did not want to plan. As we've said, no one stands in front of the altar and says their commitments to one another, planning for a messy divorce. No one hopes for that. No one plans for that. But when you do things your way, you get on a path that seems right to you. And in the end, leads to death. John, Jesus tells us in John 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, and you may have it to the full, you may have it to abundantly, another translation said. Another translation says overflowing. We want not just to get through life, but to have life abundantly. So God's ways are there to not restrict your life, but they're there to bless your life. That God's way is the way to live a life of blessing and fulfillment in all areas, and specifically in relationships. That God's ways actually work. 
And so here's sort of, a, we've been navigating some different thoughts, and here's one of these thoughts, is that for my relationships, my relationship with God is inseparable from my relationship with the people that God has put in my life. So again, as we understand our relationship with God, my relationship with God is inseparable from the relationships that God has placed in my life, from the people that God has placed in my life. You cannot have a great relationship with God without loving those that he loves. You can't. You can't tell me you love me if you hate my kids. Let's just make it personal. If you're cruel and mean and hurtful to my children, and you, you come to me the same day and say, but I love you, I will call you a liar. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> but how can you do that? And I think, I think we forget that. I think we sort of, we think, oh, I can love God. That's a separate conversation. But how do you love God with your whole heart without loving those that he loves? Without loving those that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross, a brutal death, to redeem relationship with the ones that you say you don't like? God loves them. He loves you and me as we were, but loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And quite honestly, you and I cannot love people, let's be honest, we cannot love people the way they need to be loved without God's help. How do I know this? Because people are messy. I'm speaking to myself. I'm messy. Just ask my wife. Some days it's hard to love me. Right? Like we're messy. And we bring our mess into relationships. And therefore we need the help of God to love those that he loves. So these, this relationship with God and his people is, is, is irrepar- inseparable. We cannot say we love God without loving his people. We cannot love people effectively without loving God. This is how Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you, you have to love one another. As I have loved you, sacrificially, right? Sur- through service, so you must love one another. Why? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you say this word with me, if you love one another. If you love one another. Like, our life should look different. The word they're using here is the, the word Greek word agape. It's this to love without condition. What we talked about a little bit last week about this covenantal relationship. It's a covenantal commitment. It's this unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Right? It's meaning, hey, this, is gonna, this commitment means there's going to be days that you're not going to want to do this. But the commitment of love is what compels you to stay true, to, to continue to lean in. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law are trying to challenge Jesus. Many of us know this scripture. They were challenging Jesus, and they were trying to catch him and trick him. And they asked the teacher, which is the greatest commandment? You know, there's all the law and the prophets. You read Deuteronomy. There's tons of laws. There's lots of uh, things that we need to follow. But if you were to summarize it, what would be the greatest commandment of the law. And Jesus, they're like, just give us the one. Just give us the, you know, the top one, the highlight reel. And so Jesus replies, as many of us have heard before, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And, and that's when the Pharisees would probably say, like, time out, time out. We, we only wanted one. To which Jesus would probably have said, I can't give you one. Because the two are connected. The two are inseparable. He said, how you love God, your love for God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we say it this way, I demonstrate my love for God by loving those he loves. 
These two are inseparable. And so here is the kind of the, the process. And hopefully you're staying with me. Here's the questions you need to ask yourself. When you ask yourself, hey, how am I doing with God? You know, that's a great question. How am I doing with my relationship with God? Am I, am I growing in my relationship with God? Am I connecting with my relationship with God through prayer and, and reading his word and fasting? Those are great things. We need to continue to develop those habits. But here's the other great question you could ask. Well, how am I doing my relationship with the people that God has placed in my life? How am I doing with my relationship with the people that God has put in my life? See, if you can't answer the second one with the same confidence as the first one, then maybe the first one is not as secure as you maybe think it is. Because your relationship with God is not good if your relationship with his people are not good. We need to allow God to change us and transform us, renew our minds daily and to, to reflect our love for him through those that he loves. So Jesus came to show us a better way, right? Because again, we are all failures. We're all a mess. We all fall short. And we all miss the mark. The best of, with the best of our intentions, we all miss the mark. And so Jesus came into this world to show us a better way, to, to model what we could not live and to live a life that we could not live. And so one of the ways was to realizing that we actually cannot do life alone. We can't do this as a solo sport. We need one another. As I was praying and preparing for this message, I just this thought just kind of resonated with me as I started evaluating my life. I started evaluating people in my life who've drifted away from the Lord or people in my life who are trying to do faith on their own. And this thought just came in is that the greatest reason or one of the greatest reasons that drives people away from the church and into this sort of solo faith living, one of the biggest reasons is unforgiveness and offense. Like one of the greatest reasons, it's not that they have a problem with God, but they have a problem with God's people. And there's a season, there's a, maybe a season of unforgiveness or there's a season of offense. And then what you do is you just drive away from the gathering. You say, well, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm just going to live on my own. I'm just going to, it's just me and God. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. That's all that I need to do. And can I, can I just, if, if, I, if you're part of our church and, and you've given me the permission to be your pastor, can I pastor you a little bit today? That's, that's the wrong way of thinking. In fact, I'll go so far to say that those are the tactics the devil uses to divide God's people from one another and to divide God's people from God himself. Because you cannot love God fully and completely without being connected in the community. How do the fruits of the Spirit develop in your life if there's nobody there to, for them to consume? The tree does not produce fruit of the Spirit for itself. The tree produces fruit for you. And if that fruit is not plucked and enjoyed, it falls and it dies, it rottens. How do you produce patience if there's nobody there that tries every little bit of it? <laughs> Come on now, parents. <laughs> right? How do you produce long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and love without, those people, without somebody to receive those things from you? It's the reason why God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exists in Trinity, because apart, they could not be those things. They need one another to be love. You need something to love. You need an, an, an overflow, an extension of those things. We need community. Here's what I want you to know. I heard it this week, is that independence is not a kingdom value. We think that independence is a sign of maturity. And in some ways, in some ways, sure. But in the kingdom culture, independence isn't a kingdom value. We are never meant to make it up and grow up and go on our own. We want our kids to do that. 
I know my wife said, never. I'm like, you watch. <laughs> right? We want, our kids, we want our kids to be independent, but it's not a spiritual principle. Here's what I've discovered, okay? Work with me here. Unforgiveness. What is unforgiveness and unresolved issues? What does it do? When you're hurt, when you're hurt, what do you do? You begin to, you begin to insulate yourself from being hurt again. Okay? Say it with me. Like, not say it with me, but just follow me. Because you've been here. We've all been here. We've all been hurt by somebody. Okay? So the old adage goes, hurt people hurt people. We've all been hurt, so therefore we always hurt somebody. Intentionally or unintentionally. But when you're hurt and you don't resolve that unforgiveness, you don't resolve that hurt, what do you do? You insulate your heart so it'll never happen again. Right? And you insulate. But what I've discovered about insulation is that the more you insulate, the more you isolate. You with me? The more you insulate yourself from being hurt, it means you're not trusting anybody again. You're not inviting anybody into your heart. You're not anybody into your life. You're not inviting anybody into your story. And so you isolate yourself because I will never be hurt again. I will be never treated like a fool. I'll never be taken advantage of again. Whatever that, whatever that is, you know, that you're going to lay it out. Okay, it's never going to happen again. No, uh-uh, not on your life, no. And so you insulate, and then all of a sudden you begin to isolate yourself, and all of a sudden, eventually, one day, you've so successfully kept everybody out that nobody comes knocking. Because you've pushed everyone else away. And then what happens? The further you, and then this further fosters this notion or this lie that nobody cares because nobody's calling and nobody's knocking and nobody's asking because I have become a self-fulfilling prophet by allowing unforgiveness to insulate my heart, to isolate me from community and to push everybody else away. And this is the trap of the enemy. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. If God's number one objective is to unite people to, him, to one another and to himself, what is the enemy's greatest mission? Is to divide us from one another and from him. And unforgiveness moves us from this interdependent relationship into this independent, isolated, insulated and isolated relationship. And we begin to believe that we can do this on our own. But the fruit is in the pudding. You cannot, because the fruit of the Spirit needs others to develop and to nurture in order for more fruit to grow. And so our heart is, gets, our heart is so guarded, and we become these self-fulfilling prophets. Now listen, I, wanna, I just want to make this clause. You guys with me, okay? We, are we all on the same page? Everyone's working with me? There's a difference between isolation and solitude, okay? Because I think there are times you do need to be alone. There are times you need to retract, and you need to be alone. But can I tell you the difference between, this is not my message, but I want to just give you a little bit of, you know, this is free, okay? It's like the cherry, I got a coupon for this one, okay? Solitude, okay? Solitude is, is to, I mean, isolation rather, isolation is to separate from, right? I want to separate from something. Solitude, when you look at it through scripture, is to connect with. So Jesus, through the 40 days of fasting, we see when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he, he isolated himself from people, disconnected from people in order to be in solitude with God. Okay? So it was a temporary thing. He isolated himself. He disconnected from people, disconnected from food and from situations that his kind of flesh depended upon. 
in order to connect with God. Sort of this idea of fasting and prayer we talk about, how fasting disconnects us from the world and prayer connects us with God. It's the same kind of notion, the same kind of heart. So there is moments where you need to be alone. I believe that's a spiritual principle. Solitude is a good spiritual principle. Sometimes we just need a little bit of our own headspace. But the difference of isolation is I'm retracting out of fear. I'm disconnecting in an unhealthy way. You with me? So how do we move forward? Understanding this reality, how do we move forward? So today, and again, I'm, I'm sure we all fit in this category, someone has, someone's made you mad. They've hurt you. Or you're upset. Maybe this is real time, real life. It's happening right now. Maybe there's a group of people you know, or maybe you don't even know who they are, but you know what they stand for. And you feel that this earth would just be better without them. Because every time you hear their name or you hear their, see their posts or whatever, you just get angry inside. Or maybe you have, if you have any offense in your heart, maybe you hear and you just have offense in your heart, specifically and especially to someone in your own family. Maybe there's someone who's let you down over the past 12 months. Or maybe you heard something that someone said about you that wasn't true or that was that would, that, something that you didn't even like. It was hurtful. Here's what Jesus tells us we, how we need to respond. He tells us, don't be surprised. Jesus actually tells us that these kind of things are actually going to happen. That you are going to be offended. That you are going to be hurt. So don't be surprised when it happens. What does he tell us in Matthew 24? He says, and then many will be offended. Like many and most will be offended. Like it's going to happen. And, one, and betray one another and will hate one another. He says again in Luke 17, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no, one, no offense should come. Like to live this world is to embrace the idea that I'm going to be offended. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be let down. Someone is going to wrong me in some way, whether righteously or unrighteously, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I am going to be a victim of some sort of casualty of hurt. And when we live in a world where hurt people hurt people, it is inevitable. When you find yourself here, and I've, I find myself here, I've found myself here many times, many of you are in this place even today. How do you feel? How do you respond? Well, one, you don't feel bad because you understand this is part of the human experience. So don't say, well, this only happens to me. No, that's another lie. This happens to everybody. Jesus tells us so. So if you're in the season of hurt and unforgiveness and you feel offended, and you're like, this is the only thing, no one ever, ever has ever felt this way before, that's another lie to divide you, to insulate you and isolate you. Okay, let's just call it what it is. You should know the truth, and the truth shall set you, okay? It's a lie. We've all felt this way. It's part of the human experience. Jesus tells us that. So even still, so what does he do? He calls us to, the, he says, listen, if you have been forgiven, if you are my people, you are my disciples, you have been forgiven, then what does he say? You then also need to forgive. Like, this is the call. Man, no one ever said following Jesus is going to be easy. He says, wide is the road, <laughs> Right? That leads, to, that leads to death. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and very few find it. Like, this is a narrow pathway that we're walking, friends. This is hard living, and it only happens with Christ. So what are some of the reasons that, why unforgiveness is so hard to do? Let me just give you a few thoughts before we move on. One is that we have this wrong understanding of forgiveness. I believe many of us have a wrong understanding of forgiveness. See, well, here's the one. Just let me just pop a couple bubbles, okay? It's not minimizing the seriousness of the offense, 
Like, it's not minimizing the seriousness of what actually happened. It's not saying, hey, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay that that happened. It's not saying it's no big deal. It's, it's not saying it didn't hurt. You know, it's not like trying to shove it all down. No, it did hurt. It, it's, not a, it's not minimizing the serious. It's okay to, to acknowledge the hurt. Here's what's not okay. It's not okay to find your identity in the hurt. So you can acknowledge the hurt. You can acknowledge it's okay. We just don't stay there. We don't camp out there. We don't find our identity in the hurt. Second thing, it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two parts of the same coin, but they're, they're two parts. Reconciliation is a two-player game. What does that mean? It means that it involves you and the other person mutually working together, right? It, reconciliation, I need your cooperation. And I believe this is something we need to work towards beautifully, but it's not, it's, Part of it is on you, the other part is on them. And if they choose not to do it, then you can't control that. Forgiveness, rather, is a single-player sport. It's a one-player sport. It's between you and God. So you can play this game all along. It's saying, God, I'm not going to allow this thing to affect my heart. I'm not going to allow this issue to insulate me and to isolate me from your people, because they're great people, or God, or you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal. I want you to heal me. So, again, yeah, we want to pursue reconciliation one day, but that determines on the ones on the other side of the table. But forgiveness is a, is a single-player sport. Thirdly, it's not forgetting what happened. I know we say this, forgive and forget. I mean, Jesus can do that, sure. But I don't know if I can. I'm not there yet. You know, I thank God that he forgives my sins and he forgets my sins. As far as east is from the west, he says. But I'm not Jesus. Sorry to pop your bubble. I can't for, I, I don't know if I can ever f- fully forget. But here's what I've learned and discovered that forgiveness is actually remembering what happened but still having the peace of God in my heart. Like I remember what happened, but I'm not controlled by that. I actually still, even in the remembering, I still have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. See, our Christianity is supposed to look different. If we respond to hardships and hurt the way the world responds to hardship and hurt, then how can we say, Jesus has changed my life? Honest question. If we react to hardships the same way that the, those who without hope in Christ react to hardships, then what credibility or what, in what way are we saying that Jesus has changed me? Like my life should look different. That is... What people notice, that is the, grit, that is the faithful witness, right? Because all of a sudden, you are acting differently than most people. And people take notice, and they ask questions, and we give glory to God. Thirdly, or secondly, we don't think it's fair. We don't think it's fair. Like, why do I have to take the high road? Like, why do I have to turn the other cheek? Why do I have to go the extra mile? And you're right, it's not fair. It's not fair. But I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful it's not fair. Like, I am so thankful that God does not treat us or treat me as my sin deserves. But he freely extends forgiveness to those who humbly ask. This story that Matthew tells us, you don't even have to preach this, I just got to read it. This story that Jesus tells in the book of Matthew. I'm going to read it for you. This is how Jesus explains it. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times 
Like, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? It's a great question. Many of us ask this. Like, how many times are we going to circle this wagon, you know? And then he comes up. He's so proud of himself. Up to seven times? Like, so bold. Good for you, Peter. You nailed it. Seven times. You're so spiritual. Right? That's what Peter was hoping the answer was going to be. And then Jesus says, you silly duck. He says, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some scholars even believe it was Jesus was saying 70 times seven times, just like 490 times. We don't want to get lost in that. What did Jesus say? A lot. Like more than you feel is comfortable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with a servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents by today's standard economy, be north of $3 billion, okay? It's a lot of money more than anybody could ever repay. It says, this man was brought to him, and since he was not able to pay, obviously, the master ordered him that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And then when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and 100 denarii is like $10,000. So still a lot of money, but still within the reason of repaying. And he grabbed him, and he, and he, and he began to choke him, and he, he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And the fellow servant just did. This is exactly what happened. He fell on his knees, and he begged, please be patient with me, and I will pay you back everything that I owe you. But the servant refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debts. And when the other servants saw what had happened, the ones who were from the first master, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debts because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, he turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay off all that he owed. And then here's the warning. And this is really, this is the crux of the story. I of us need to hear this. This is how. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. This isn't Paul, Peter, it's Jesus. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Let's just sit in that for a second. Like, this is not justifiably. Like, there is no justifiable why. No, this is the response. I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, I've discovered in life, right and easy seldom coexist. Like, what's right and what's easy seldom coexist. Jesus is asking us to live differently, to respond differently, to fight the, the, the pull of independent living because of hurt and offense, and to live this interdependent life one with another. C.S. Lewis says it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Make this personal. To be a Jesus follower is to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. And who am I not to repay or to 
allow the, the grace of God that I have so freely received to pour out of my life in response to those around me. May we never forget that we were the servant who had a debt that could not be paid. Like, may we never forget that we were sinners saved by God's amazing grace. And that Christ and his amazing love for us canceled our debt and led us to live a free life. Who are we to rob anybody from that reality? The third is that we can't, we don't think we can do it. We don't think we can do it. Like, this is a hard thing to do. And I, I don't know everybody in this room, but I've heard some of your stories. I know some of my stories. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard thing to let go. Some of the things that people have done to us is, tra- is horrific and tragic. And it's justifiable to harbor anger and frustration and offense. It's justifiable to be, by the world's standards, to say, I just cannot let that go. It's justifiable to say they don't deserve it. They made the bed, let them lie in it. It's justifiable, and nobody would actually argue with you. But Jesus, who calls you and I as followers of him, to live and operate at a different level. After Paul instructed the the people in Philippi, he tells them in in the end in Philippians 4, he says, you got to rejoice always, and even in the face of hardship, you know, rejoice. He says, and let, their, let your gentleness be evident to all. Like, just be gentle to all people. And he says, by, how do you do this? By allowing your minds to dwell and think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And he's having this, this beautiful exchange, an exhortation to the church of Philippi. And then he says this, which is encouragement to you and to us. He says, even though I know it's really hard, Paul tells him, and Paul's talking about from his own experience at this point too. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength to do it. And here's what I believe, church. I believe if you open your life to the power of God, that he will empower you to do the things that you don't think you could do. He will empower you to forgive when everything inside of you just wants to revenge. Like, he will empower you to do that. But here's the catch. You have to take the first step. Like, you have to allow him to heal you first. The Bible tells us that Jesus stands at the door. He's knocking. But you and I have to invite him in. You and I have to invite him into our heart. You and I have to first receive forgiveness in order that we can then release forgiveness. It's uncomfortable. And I don't want to paint a picture that this is an easy thing. In fact, I'm going to almost guarantee you it's going to get harder before it gets easier. (laughs) It's probably going to get a little bit more messy before it gets better. You can do everything in his power, by his power, because of his power at work inside of you. So as we close, here's just a couple thoughts. How do we move from this independent, insulated, isolated living and fight for interdependence? Again, interdependence is having right relationship with God and others by being fully dependent on Christ alone. Like the only person you should be fully dependent upon is Christ. Not your spouse, not your coworkers, not your friends. My dependence is on Christ alone. Because my dependence on Christ alone is the firm foundation that allows me to stand side by side, but not be leaning up, depending on the person beside me. 
but I'm also not in isolation. I'm not all by myself. So how do we live this out? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this beautiful sermon in the beginning of Matthew, and he gives us these three instructions, and here they are. They're, they're easy to read, they're quick and easy to read. You can write them down in five words, but I guarantee you it's a lot harder to live out. First, you need to pray for people. What? Jesus is explicit. You gotta pray. Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's, yeah, that's reasonable. That's expected, that's cultural norm. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The thing about persecution is different because sometimes we're hurt kind of casually by somebody else's ignorance. We don't really, you know, we're the casualty of their ignorance. Persecution is different. <laughs> persecution is intentional. And even in the intentionality of persecution, he says you need to pray for them. I don't think we're a persecuted church yet in, in our little world that we live in. There is a persecuted church around the world, there's no question. But what we look sometimes as hardship isn't persecution. But I, I think the day's coming. And how are we going to respond in a per, when we are intentionally persecuted? People are intentionally trying to hurt you. Jesus tells us we need to pray. He says, Lord, I forgive. Lord, I forgive. Fill in the blank. I forgive. And I'm asking you to bless them. I'm asking you to move in their life. I'm asking you to give them the strength to do what is right. Listen, I've discovered that this may not change them, but what I've learned is it changes me. It may not change them, and it may not fix the relationship. You may never, that relationship may never be reconciled but it changes you. It's funny, you read the Psalms, go through the Psalms, David's Psalms or others, it always starts with like, you know, why, oh, smi great smiter, why have you smited me, you know, and like anger and frustration and hurt. And then as you continue to read through the Psalm, as he continues to pray and pray and pray, all of a sudden the Psalm ends with, God, but I still trust you. God, I still love you. God, I praise you. Because he's working out the hurt through prayer. And it may not have changed the relationship, but it changed David's heart in relationship with God. So we gotta pray for them. Secondly, we were called to do is bless them. We gotta bless them. You know what blessing means? It means choosing not to say negative things about them. It says choosing not to talk badly about them. It goes back to the old adage, if you have nothing good to say, then don't say anything at all. Like even just adopting that principle in the season of offense when you know, hey, <laughs> this could go either way. But I'm gonna choose as I pray through this to just choose not to let anything offensive come from my mouth. I'm gonna choose to bless them. Jesus tells us in Luke, he says, but I tell you, hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Paul. Bless those who persecute you in Romans. Bless those and do not curse. Again, it's easy to do the cursing that comes natural. Those are like the weeds that don't need any help growing in our life, right? The blessing needs to be cultivated, needs to be stewarded, needs to be trained and developed. Thirdly, do good to them. Jesus says just do good to them. Like serve them. 
I know it doesn't feel natural. I know it doesn't feel right. I know it feels awkward and uncomfortable. Just serve them anyway. See what I will do. Romans, Paul tells us, Romans 12, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it at all possible, as far as it depends on you, again, this is about forgiveness, not reconciliation. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. God's taking good goods. This is on the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, what does he do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. So do not become over, do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, rather, but overcome evil with good. We, we sometimes misread this, this scripture. We're like, yeah, by doing good, I'm making them burn, you know, like heaping coals on their head. And the context, the cultural context of this is kind of lost on us today because we don't necessarily do it. But back there, fire was everything. Fire was how they heated their homes. It was how they cooked all their meals. And a lot of times, you know, you get out and you go about your work, you'd be busy, and your coals of your fire would burn out. And you wouldn't have fire for when you get home at night. And what he's saying is by doing good to them, it's like taking the coals from your fireplace, the burning hot coals from your fireplace, and bringing it to them, even though you feel they don't deserve it. But you're caring for them. You're blessing them. You're serving them. And this is the attitude that we are supposed to live in as followers of Jesus. We talk about family values. We're not talking about doing it the way the world's way is doing it. We're talking about going back to the ancient paths and doing it the way God has instructed us to do it. It's easy to do the get you know, it's easy to say you deserve what you get, you made your bed, you lay in it. It's a lot harder to do it God's way. So, the kingdom culture. The kingdom of God is countercultural to the things of this world. And we're called to live different, right? Can you hear me this morning, church? When it comes to relationships, we're called to live different. And so, I'm going to end with this. I want you to invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to close here. This is Paul saying, hear me now. Paul's saying, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every malice. And here's what he's saying. In response, be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive, be compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as God forgave you. It's hard to do unless you first receive it. And so while independence is a king, isn't a kingdom value, independence isn't a kingdom value, interdependence is a kingdom value of a unified people. This is what we're pursuing. Interdependence, it's the ability to walk together hand in hand, moving toward a common goal by living out a common purpose while mutually working through the hurdles and hurts that are inevitable along the way. And how do we do this? How do we pursue value? How do we value interdependence over independence? Honestly, it starts when the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. Maybe it's time to let the hurt go, to break out of the isolation, to start pulling away some of the insulation and allow your heart to be healed today. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you loved us as we are, but you loved us too much to leave us the way we are. And Lord, that by your grace, you invited us into a relationship that we did not deserve. Lord, that you did not treat any of us as, we are, as our sins demanded. But God, you extended grace and favor and mercy. 
And today we, for those who have followed you, for those who said yes to Jesus, Lord, we have freely received what we did not earn, do not deserve. And so God, today we just want to receive it anew and afresh. And we pray, God, that you would allow us to be conduits of your forgiveness, to be conduits of your grace, to be conduits of your healing and your power at work. If you're here this morning and you're just, maybe you're sitting in the season of unforgiveness and there's, there's a, there, as we've been talking, there's this person and there's a situation or this, and you're like, but I, I just don't know if I can. I, I just don't. Yes, I get it. I just don't know if I can. Spirit of God, I just pray for that person right now in this room who's struggling right now, who's battling with this ability to let go of God by your grace and by your power that is made perfect in our weakness. God, may you direct our hearts to healing and wholeness. God, may, we teach, may you teach us how to pray and to bless and to do good. Whatever that means for us in this season, in this situation, wherever that relationship looks like. And, and while we pray for restoration, God, we just trust for, and we start with forgiveness. We pray that our hearts would be healed. So God, do the work in our hearts. God, remind us that we were the masters, that we were the servants, rather, in, with a debt that we could not pay. But you were the master who had compassion on us canceled our debt. God, may we never forget that in our interactions with your people. And so help us love your people well by loving you more. And so God, we just pray for your grace to be upon each one of us today. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.